This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. Thanks, Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandal. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezraeli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. And this is Robert Greenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Spertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 52. I'm your host Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. This is Zach. This is Don. And we are bringing you the latest comic news from the past two weeks, and comic reviews from the past two weeks. We're also going to have a nice little discussion about the number of Bat books coming out in the next three months. This month being included in that. And we'll get to that right after the news, but let's start off with news. Alright Joker, get ready for a little... The first thing we've got is on September 20th, the source announced that starting December, Birds of Prey will have a new addition to its creative team. R.D. and Syaf will be taking over the art duties. Birds of Prey editor Janelle Siegel shared not only the following comments, but also two pages of art from the upcoming issue. I've been a fan of Ardian's work for quite some time now, so I jumped at the chance to have him on Birds of Prey. He's a great fit for the book because he's an immensely talented artist with a gift for storytelling and action, and he's also great at drawing beautiful women. We couldn't ask for a better combination than that for the kind of stories we're telling in Birds of Prey right now. So, I guess Ed Bennis on the book was uh, short-lived. Big shock. Naughty, naughty, you're making me miss the show. All right, so the next thing we've got is on September 24th, Newsarama posted up an interview with Fabian Nasiza. And as we know, Nasiza is currently writing Red Robin, but also he is writing two one-shots in October for Bruce Wayne, The Road Home. So he had a couple little interesting things that he said. He specifically said, uh, I love writing Tim Drake, and we have a lot of really fun, unexpected storylines coming up in the next year, including, will Tim release a gang leader from prison because she might be an undercover cop, but he's not sure yet if she's telling the truth or not. Tim goes on a trip to Moscow that turns into a trip to another realm where the villain's dreams all come true. A crossover coming up with Teen Titans a worldwide assassination tournament where the competition involves killing corporate CEOs, which includes Tim, Bruce, and Lucius Fox among its members to a surprise shift midstream where new targets are chosen for the contestants. Lots of guest stars, including the return of a character we sort of haven't seen in 10 years. Lots of ridiculously complicated planning by a lead character who is sometimes too smart for his own good, certainly for mine since he's writing his stories, takes me almost twice as long as a regular comic does, and an absurdly convoluted romantic life that seems to juggle lots of women but provides no romance. I gotta say, Fabian is probably one of the best people to, like, hint at these things because he really makes you start wondering. The last time, as we know, he said uh, there's going to be a fight for Tim's V-card. We haven't seen that yet, but hey, we're waiting for it. (laughs) Yes, we. Waiting we are, and maybe that's the return of the character who we haven't seen in ten years, because I was thinking, like, characters in Tim Drake's life who haven't been seen since around the year 2000, 
And the only one that I can really think of is his old Russian girlfriend, Ariana, who actually tried to take his V-card in an early Dixon issue, so maybe she's putting her hand in the race. But if it's not her, I'm, I'm really curious about different Batman or Tim Drake exclusive supporting characters who haven't been seen since the year 2000. Maybe it was uh, Dava from that one run. He was, he was, uh... Oh, she's more like 15 years, but like, yeah, I remember her. Oh, yeah. She was, she, she wore that, like, like red, yellow, and blue, red, yellow, and green yep. uh, coat. She, she had, yep. like, the, the, the other Rob costume, yeah. Yeah, the warlord's daughter. This time, pirates, you walk the plank. Right into prison. This will make quite a chapter in my new memoir. 20,000 victories under the sea. What do you think? I'll wait for the movie. The next thing we've got is an interview with J.H. Williams that was done by Comic Book Resources. I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Zach will read for J.H. Williams III. After writer Greg Ruck's departure, you were the natural choice to continue Kate's story, especially given the intense nature of the creation of the character, as well as your own writing background. But this is undoubtedly your biggest writing gig yet, so what did you do to freshen up your skills on plotting and dialogue? Well, the first thing I did was examine the direction of the series so far. There were certain plot elements Greg planned on following up on that I'm going to avoid in case he plans on returning and pursuing those. But besides that, it was just a matter of taking a look at the material and seeing what sort of angle we could take that might not be expected. At the same time, it needs to feel natural as to what came before it. It was a matter of doing brainstorming, figuring out what the series needed, a lot of invention, plans for creating a rogues gallery that Batwoman can call her own. Is Batwoman strictly going to be you and Amy alternating art on arcs, or have you thought about bringing in a third artist if things get too busy? I hate to bring in a third artist because it begins to have a mismatch feeling without a real direction, particularly when the third arc gets here. I'd hate for a third artist to have to draw that instead of myself. Each arc stands on its own, but it also builds to a form and larger overall arc. I am one of those types that can't help but think way down the road for the characters. I feel like if we know where we're going, it informs us in where we're starting. Alright, so that is that interview. As again, his interviews are not very informative. That's all I wanted to know. Alright, so, the next thing and the last thing we've got as far as comic news, surprisingly, there's very little this time. Uh, We have, on September 29th, there was something posted up on the source that was essentially a number of teasers for the future of the Batman universe. Um, So there was uh, some comments, and then there was a couple pictures. So we'll read through the comments, and then we'll go over the pit, we'll describe the pictures. An icon returns, a villain is born, and the protectors of Gotham are forced to not only defeat the immediate, but cope with the array of questions that Bruce's return brings up. Batgirl no more? Catwoman's love rekindled? A Robin abandoned? (laughs) The images we've got show Dick Grayson bursting into a skylight, into a warehouse, art from the Commissioner Gordon co-feature. We also see this new villain that uh, we will eventually see sometime. Oracle sitting in front of a computer with screens that say Wayne Tech Feed Scrambled. And to the right of it, we see a Batgirl costume in a what appears to be a memorial case, despite the fact that it's clearly Stephanie's Batgirl outfit. Stephanie finally got a memorial case. I think the, I don't want to speculate too much on these, I think the artwork and the Gordon co-feature looks really good, and that villain looks an awful lot like the Predator, so I don't know what's going on there, but that's awfully interesting. 
the the villain I'll wait and see what happens with that the art for the Commissioner Gordon thing does look really good I'm not real sure what some of this other stuff means a Robin abandoned like what or do we really think at any point in time that uh, Damien's gonna go away Red Robin's gonna go away no I think that was kind of pointless and uh, um, Millar's been talking a lot about his plans for the Batgirl title in terms of years like this is his plan for for year two and what he has in mind for year three, so that makes me believe that Stephanie's not going anywhere either. Honestly, I have to say I think it was a poor job, very poor job, with these teasers because they're not really that great. Batman bursting through a skylight does not tease me. <laughs> they're not teasing on anything, anything like, yeah. except for this this villain, which I'm not, I'm, this image is not making me any more interested in who this is without me seeing this picture. He didn't do anything wrong. Because he's the hero Gotham deserves. But not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. Because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian. A watchful protector. All right, so that's all the news we've got. We're going to move into our discussion, which we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about, but I think it's something that we really need to bring up. We've been talking about this and hinting at this over the past couple podcasts about how there's a ridiculous number of books coming out in the future months. Well, when it all first was announced, well, Bruce Wayne's going to return, and it's going to start off with all these one-shots. Well, when they first said that, it was kind of an iffy thing because we thought they were going to have the ongoings in addition to the one-shots, and... We were kind of relieved when they said, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do the ongoings. We're just going to do the one-shots that month. I was like, okay, okay, that's understandable. So for the month of October, we have four miniseries, ten one-shots, six ongoing series. We have five Batman-related trade paperbacks, and then there are seven comic series that are classified in the other category. Now, this would include Justice League, The Outsiders, Teen Titans, Tiny Titans, those kind of books that Batman characters play major roles in those books. When you add all those up, that comes out to 32 books total. Now given I know you're probably not going to go pick up all these trade paperbacks, and I'm sure you're not going to go pick up every one of these others. So if you just classify the ongoings, the one-shots, and the minis, we're sitting at 20 books for the month of October. Now here's where it gets interesting. When we shift over to November, as we all know, there's a number of different series that are starting up. We have Batman Inc., we have Batman Dark Knight, so we have those, and on top of that, there's a couple one-shots that somehow feel the necessity. We still have all of the miniseries, Red Hood, Batman Beyond, still going on, Odyssey. So going by the numbers of this, we've got six miniseries, three one-shots, 13 ongoings, seven trade paperbacks, and seven other series. So when you add all those up, that comes out to 36 books for the month. Now, if you just do the normal stuff, not the trade paperbacks or the other series, you're sitting at... 21. So we go only go up one book. Now we come to December, and we can't go any further than December because obviously January solicitations haven't been announced yet. But for December, we have three miniseries, three one-shots, 14 ongoings, seven trade paperbacks, seven other series. 
So that's 34 books total, and if you just count the normal series, that's 20 books. So it looks like we're going to be sitting at about 20 books for some reason over the next couple months, at least 20 books that you'd have to be picking up, not including the trade paperbacks or the other series. So the discussion today is, how much is too much? That's too much, definitely. That's, if you're one of those Batman fans who collects everything, even if you only got like half of the books, you're still going to be getting them over 10 books for that month. Yeah, I've always thought 15 was too much. I actually have a kind of a problem with this because to me it's it's DC cashing in on Batman titles. So there was an announcement that DC is ending the Wildstorm imprint and there was some articles brought up online about, you know, why that was. And when you look at Wildstorm which had 14 ongoing in in miniseries titles, and then you look at a month of like December that has 21 or 20 ongoing 20 Batman issues coming out. It's just it to me it's DC doing things from the business side. And I understand it's a business. Every industry does this. It just it really bothers me when they're looking at things from the business point of view rather than sort of the creative point of view. I don't I don't know anybody that really wants to read 20 Batman books in a month. I don't. I'm perfectly fine with 10. I've always thought 10 was just enough. You know, you've got you know, your three or four main titles with Batman. You've got your three or four Batman family other books. And then you've got a couple miniseries or one-shots. I don't see where the stress is to have all of these books. I, I just don't get it. See, the problem that I'm having with this is that, like, I, I get that, you know, they've given books to characters that before didn't necessarily have a book or before, you know, I mean, you think about it. You know, they canceled all those series last year. The Nightwing, The Birds of Prey, The Robin. They, they canceled all those series, and for a while, they did. you know, it was like, oh, well, what are they going to do if they're canceling all these? And then they bring all these series back. But then on top of that, they throw in Batgirl back in, which was canceled, which had been ceased for quite some time. Uh, they threw Azrael back in there. And then on top of that, you know, short time later, you get Birds of Prey back too. So it's almost as if, what was the point of canceling all these series? And I know we've said this in the past. So the issue is that, you know, they bring all these series back. And, you know, that's great if as long as it's, you know, worthwhile stories. But as we know, there's a bunch of series that don't have worthwhile stories. And on top of not having a bunch of worthwhile stories, what is the point of having a ton of miniseries at the same time, they have all these ongoings, too. You know, Red Hood, Batman Beyond, those both wrap in November. They're both done. But keep in mind that even though those wrap, we still have a ton of other miniseries. And in December, they threw another one, a two-issue miniseries, in, in December for some reason, called Batman Orphans. What is the point? Why do they keep doing this? They've, you know, they they do these random things. You know, we know next year we're going to get something having to do with Batman Beyond as an ongoing because they've already said it's happening. And on top of that, we know that there's going to be Batwoman. We know that there's going to be Widening Gear eventually coming back too. So there's three more books. The best I can figure, and this is just a shot in the darkest. This is just, this isn't even educated, but like the whole reason that they're even doing it in the first place, besides making lots and lots of bags of money, is because Batman is still in, like, the mainstream media, and certainly with DC, riding the success of The Dark Knight. And despite, despite the fact that they're actually coming out with an ongoing call, Batman Dark Knight, well, hey, they're just, they're, just, they're just keep on milking this cow until all the milk's gone. 
And what I think is that while that's still in the back of uh, everyone's minds, they're saying, oh, writer, you want to you want to always want to do Batman here. Here's a miniseries here. Here's an ongoing here. Here's a series. People will buy it because it's Batman. So on one side of the coin, they're just they're just writing on the name. But on the other side of the coin, they're giving all their um, all the writers who wanted to work on the character, like Kevin Smith, and other characters like David Hine, just chances to do the character. Because you, you have books like Batman Confidential, Batman Dark Knight, Batman or Inc. Detective Comics. Those are all Batman, but they're different sides, different tones of books. And so I think a lot of it is just fulfilling uh, writers' wish, wish fulfillments. And another is just making money, and those kind of go hand in hand like a sandwich. And um, even though we're just, you know, they're just looking us out, and you know, fifteen, thirty books are just kind of like the result of that. The average like new comic company or something when they launch, I mean, some like or an imprint or a line, they don't even have like you know, fifteen books sometimes, much less over twenty. I mean, there's enough Batman books right now that, like, you know, DC can just break off the whole Batman universe and give it their own imprint. It's, and I, I'd be curious to know how much some of these were selling. Like, I'm sure that the big ones like Detective and Batman are doing just fine, but some of them probably don't even break 40K. Yeah, I don't know how many of Streets these of are actually Gotham doing doesn't that break good. 40K. I yeah. mean, to me, what is the funny thing to me is about it. I don't, I don't see how they could still be trying to milk the Dark Knight cow. I just, they, they didn't, they didn't really try to milk that cow when the movie was coming out. I mean, there weren't tie-ins, and I mean, they kind of stood their ground. That was one of the things that I was so surprised about was, is that they didn't try to mesh their stories to kind of bring in new readers. You know, you had the Morrison thing going on, and they, they stuck with all that through the Dark Knight. The fun- funny thing to me is is that this seems to happen every decade both all both companies dc and marvel go through this phase where they're just pumping and pumping and pumping material out and then it ends up backfiring on them and they never they don't learn i mean we saw that in the 80s we saw that in the 90s marvel did go bankrupt i just don't understand i mean sure batman is that was that is one thing that you have to think about batman comic books for some reason seem to get much more mainstream press than a lot of other books do, like these interviews with Morrison in the LA Times and, and things like this. But there's just no need for 21 titles in a month. Yeah, speaking of sales figures, <clears throat> we have full sales figures for August. Now, in August, uh, the top Batman book that came out was Batman, and that was ranked seven in the entire for the entire month with uh, 73,000 copies. Then, from there, we dropped down to number 25 with Batman Odyssey, and that was 47,000 issues. Now, what's interesting to me is I don't really think Batman Odyssey is doing any is very good. I think it's selling because Neil Adams is attached to that, and that's the only reason. All right, so then we go to number 28. We have Birds of Prey at 46,000. Then we move down to number 38 with Detective Comics with 38,000. From there, we move to number 47, Red Robin, with 34,000. Then we move to Superman Batman at number 50 for 34,000. Batman Beyond at number 56 with 31. Batgirl at number 66 with 27,000. Red Hood at number 81 with 24,000. Gotham City Sirens at number 82 with 24,000. Streets of Gotham at number 85 with 24,000. Our good friend, The Outsiders, is at number 118 with only 15,000 issues. 
Batman Confidential is at 122 with 14,000. These miniseries must do really well in trade or something. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Trim, they got to trim the fat. You say you want to trim the fence. Where do you start trimming? That's the problem. Like, well, I'd say I've thought know, about I've thought about this because those are like you know the iconic titles. But you know, do we need Batman Inc. and Batman and Robin and Batman the Dark Light? How many of the extra ones do we need? And I'm not saying well, well, but Batman and Robin's so good. Then move Grant Morrison and whoever the artist is that's helping him over to Detective. Then exactly, I don't I mean, mind if they give Dick Grayson his own series and Tim Drake his own series and Barbara Gordon, but. When there's like six or seven focusing on Batman alone, that that's yeah. too much, and it, it it becomes redundant. We don't need a title called Batman, then a title called Batman: The Dark Knight, then a title called Batman Detective Comics, then a title. You, you get the picture. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like I keep on comparing back to the '90s, where it just seemed like it was down to the bare essentials. Am I wrong? Assuming if they just cut out to like the essential characters, you know, Batman Detective Comics, that's fine. Uh, Red Robin, Batman and Robin uh, for Dick and Damien, Birds of Prey, Batgirl, and I can't think of any. Uh, maybe Streets of Gotham for uh, some of the ancillary characters, like, I don't know, Gordon or somebody. I think that that would be just just the way it would need to be, just because those are the characters that are concerned with the immediate Bat- Batman universe. There's no what if titles, there's no Batman Confidential. I just think that, like, a lot of this is. I mean, half of these titles, I think, need to be out there. But, like, the problem is that the majority, and we all know this, the majority is just titles that just, you know, they're, they're over, you just, you'll, you'll just, at one point you're saying, you know, why is Batman in, I don't know, Knoxville in one issue and in California the, the same month in another comic? I mean, it, that kind of stuff drives people like me crazy. I, I think the problem is that they get this great idea, and the great idea is somebody like Grant Morrison coming to them and saying, I've got this great idea for a story. Here's what it is, and they tell them about what they tell DC about what the story's about, and they're like, "Oh, that sounds really good." Oh, so what do you want to tell this in? Well, I, I want to tell it in a book called Batman Inc. Well, you know, you could tell it in Batman, and you don't have to have another series. Well, I think this series deserves its own ongoing because you know it, it's going to be a good story. Well, I'm sure it will be because you're writing it, but. What about writing in Batman? And I just don't see that actual conversation taking place. I think the problem is that somebody comes up with a great idea and they're like, oh, well, you know, David Finch, you said you wanted to do Batman. Well, let's not put you in one of the Batman titles. Let's make a new Batman title. And I'm having a huge problem with that because, honestly, there's a lot of talk now about all these artists that are suddenly now writing series. And I've got nothing against that as long as they're good stories. The problem is... That for some reason they get these big name artists who somehow now are starting to tell stories and they give them their own series. Now I'm not talking about J.H. Williams because Batwoman was going to happen whether or not he did it or not. It was going to happen. But like this Batman Dark Knight, nothing against David Finch, but I don't know that this is really necessary. I don't think that every time Grant Morrison has a great idea, he should get a new series. And then the series that he was working on continues on. Who's to say that David Finch will, will stick with Batman the Dark Knight past a year, let alone... Right, six that, was that, the was, whole thing. I mean, that was the whole thing with Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison said, oh, we're going to do Batman and Robin. That's what we're going to do. And then in the beginning, it was like, oh, it's going to be 12 issues. Then they decided, oh, well, it's going to be longer than 12 issues. It'll be like 15. And then there was, oh, wait, it's going to be 16 because we gotta have to, we're going to have to have a final issue to wrap everything up. 
And then it was, oh wait, we're not ending the series because every time it sells, it's one of the top sales. So everybody knows that title, knows that it sells. So we're going to just throw a different writer and artist on it because Grant's moving off that series. Why didn't he continue to tell his story in his book or go to a different book? Why is it that every time he's got a new story, he has to have a new series? Well, I think the writer-artist thing is interesting because those guys cannot write and draw books, you know, for consistently for think, a very large extended period of time. I mean, right. I if think we even the, get a year out of them, I mean, yeah, I think the big thing is you have to make sure we I say don't. they can't do it consistently because the thing is we've got people, we've got writers who can't even write things consistently. Uh, <clears throat> Paul Dini, for instance. Uh, has a huge problem with uh, keeping schedule with his two books that he's supposed to be writing, which, oh, by the way, he hasn't actually written the stories in for quite some time, even though they're soliciting them three months ahead of time. So how is it that three months ahead of time they're soliciting the, This is what... It's starting to catch up to the fact where Streets of Gotham is so backlogged with solicitations for stories that haven't actually happened that you really have to start wondering to yourself, why are they still soliciting him on a book if they have three months of stories that haven't been out that they solicited prior to this. I I just don't get it. But besides that, going back to the writer-artist thing, because that's kind of off top of Paul Dini, but everybody knows that these writers and these artists that become writers, they can't do both. Tony Daniel was proof positive that that cannot happen. Okay, He he made a good effort. He did a decent job on Battle for the College. He did the art, and he did the, the story. But he also had months to prepare for that as well. Then they say, oh, well, Tony Daniel's going to take over uh, Batman because Judd Winnick's going to go off and do whatever. And so he's going to do the art and it. How long did that last? I think it lasted like five months. And then all of a sudden, Gilliam March had to jump in and do the art for a couple issues because Tony Daniel didn't have the time to finish it. It cannot last. I mean, at least J.H. Williams is is smart enough to realize that he's not going to be able to write and do the art for Batwoman. And he's going to be doing, you know, breaking up by story arcs, and he got another person on to do the art. He also got another person on to assist him in writing. He's the only person who's doing this artist-to-writer thing that's thinking logically, hey, if I, only, if I write everything, my art will not have the time... I will not have the time I need to get quality art done. So I'm going to bring somebody else to help me write, to fill in the little details. I'm going I'm going to bring in another artist to, to you know to spend to do an arc in between every other arc to do the art because then I can make sure that my art is quality. I mean that's the problem. Like they're getting these artists who are pretty popular and they're giving them the ability to do this, but ultimately I think they're giving them the opportunity to fail. I, would I think agree. you brought up a good point with the whole yeah. Grant Morrison jumping from like concept to concept thing, because he was on Batman. He had the idea for Batman and Robin, they gave him that, but now, he's ju- now he has a new idea, so he's jumping from Batman and Robin, and they're not canceling it. You know, They're keeping that around, so he's doing Batman Inc. After Batman Inc., if he has an idea for the next big thing, you know, like... Batman Underwater or something, or they're going to start a new title, Batman Underwater, and then, you know, have some, you know... Batman Zero writer. Yeah, and then have another writer take over Batman. Is Grant Morrison going to keep on leaving all these titles behind? 
that they're not going to cancel. And they wouldn't need to be starting these extra titles. But if, if this is Grant Morrison's, like, Batman magnum opus, they could have probably told the whole thing in one title. I mean, you know, I'm enjoying Batman and Robin, but yeah, those stories could have been told in the regular, you know, bat single title, Batman title. But you, do you, I mean, you have to think about it. Fans will follow, you have to think of this from a business perspective. Fans will follow Morrison, whatever title he's on, because they know that that's the big title. So, in a sense, I think DC is also looking at this as a way to cash in. Hey, he's on Batman. If we put him on Batman and Robin, fans will follow him there. And those fans that were reading Batman are probably going to keep reading Batman. And oh, hey, if we put him on Batman, if he start another book, <laughs> they'll follow them there. And they were reading Batman. They're going to keep reading Batman. We've got a pretty strong team coming on a Batman and Robin. Why would they drop that? They'll keep reading that. And they'll start picking up Batman, Inc. Yeah, but the That's issue with that is that it only takes – well, the, the, the idea with that is that it's only going to take about two issues before they realize that the story in the title that Morrison left isn't as good. So what would be the point of doing it? So they get you know an extra six bucks out of everybody. Well, Batman Ooh. is still selling well even with after Morrison left. I mean it, no, it's trying to make it sound like it's all Grant Morrison's fault. Grant Morrison's just an easy example to use because every time Grant Morrison has a new idea, they do a new title for that. When Jason Todd came on in the eighties, they didn't start a new title called Batman and Jason Todd, and then it's and then a the new title anymore. called Batman Grieving for His Dead Son. And I mean, I would think that Batman and Detective would consistently sell well every month, no matter really well, who's Detective, on Detective, on the other hand, that, is, that because been, sells about 40. That's been well, worthless ever since Dini left. Ever since Batwoman got out of that store. I mean, I would just... Because the casual readers who don't are not big Batman fans, if they're going to pick up a couple books, they're going to pick up Batman and they're probably going to pick up Detective. Although Detective is not, is not a good example of late. It's fine for the days when Grant Morrison was doing his thing in Batman, Dini was on Detective, he had Robin, Nightwing, Birds of Prey. They were just doing their thing. Like, how long was that? was like 2007, last time that happened. That, oh, wait, were, it was, they were doing that before Battle for the Cow. Well, that was, that was like the last time that was around that time. I remember only like a couple of years ago hearing that those books were getting, But they did Robin the same thing for Paul Dini. I mean, they gave Paul Dini two new titles. I mean, essentially, well, they took what he was doing in Detective and carried it over into Streets of Gotham because he was supposed to continue that Hush storyline, which is just now starting with this issue. I mean, we're 16 we issues into about, the... Well, I mean, and to prove, to, you know, to prove a point, kind of, of how ridiculous this is getting, Adam Beechin can walk into the offices. Adam Beechin can say, um, I'd like a Batman title again. Oh, okay, here, here's an ongoing for you. See, I don't, I don't like the using the the creator's name. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like these guys are not like, I don't, it goes, I think it's more the lines like, like the editors, Mike Marks and them say, hey, Adam Beachin, you like Batman, don't you? Uh-huh. Here you go. Here's the title. I don't think that they're, you know, they're asking their mommies for titles to write. I think that they're, they're just giving them because they've been good boys lately. I don't know if that's a real, I don't know because I'm not there, but that just does not seem like a very logical way to run a business. Is hey, if you want to, if you want to write this, okay, sure. And it's just if that's what's going on, well, then there somebody needs to do something because to me, if somebody can walk in and say, "I want to write this book, this book," and then after I'm done on those two books, I'm going to take that story, I'm going to start a new title, and they well, say, well, "Sure, that's." Think, think about what's happened in the past. You, you, have, you give Neil Adams a Batman title. You give Frank Miller a Batman title. Like, like th- those are other examples. I mean, I don't think these guys just go to the office. I think they just give them give them titles just because they, they'll know it make money. I mean. It's, I think it's more to do with the editorial thing than 
the writers having actual ideas. I mean, do you really think that, I don't know, the whole, the whole Batman Odyssey thing is a big example of this because I, I, can't, I, can't, I just can't imagine them actually choosing him and saying, you know, we need you to do a miniseries now. I mean, if, if the worst comic book writer in the world was to walk into the Batman offices tomorrow and say, I want to do a Batman ongoing, they'd probably give it to him. Kevin Smith, not the worst Frank Miller, Neil Adams. Like, like I'm not, I'm not judging by quality. I'm just saying these guys are guys who like were just given Christmas presents with these Batman miniseries, and you know, yeah, they're not ongoings, but you know, Odyssey's a Matthew series. Kevin Smith has his like, you know, ongoing biblical saga, quote unquote, with this whole Batman thing. Uh, there's only Be- Dark Knight, Boy Wonder coming out sooner or later. I mean, it's like. It, it, it just—it seems like you know Batman. Well, that's just Batman as much Jim Lee's fault as Frank Miller's. Yeah, 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 he's got the scripts. I don't know. Something, something's just really fishy with the fact that like, like, I don't think the thing is when we're talking about guys like Miller and Smith and Adams. I don't think they need—they don't need these series. Like, they're—I'm sure they're fine without doing them. It's not like they're coming to DC. I've got this story. I, I really want to do this. Like, I, to me, I, I see it as you know. DC is just—they're looking to really fill fill up that catalog, and provide exactly. as much variety as they can. And when they get these big all-star guys to come on these books, they know that at least for most people, give three issues—the first three issues—a shot. Those first three issues will sell well. I just—I don't know. I guarantee you, five years from now, when Bruce Timm either quits or, or uh, God forbid, gets fired from you know being the executive producer of all these videos. Um, DC's gonna go to him saying, "Make a Batman miniseries, a three, a three to six issue Batman miniseries." He'll do it. People will buy because it it's Bruce Tim and say, "Okay, have a Batman ongoing." He'll do maybe three to five issues and then give it to somebody else, and it'll be like Superman, Batman all over again—a big hit in the beginning and a failure by the end. Because that's it's how things a, are run. It's all a cycle. So anyway, the the point of this this whole discussion is that it's ridiculous how much how, how many comics are coming out. I'd be happy with maybe max 12 issues. Am I still going to buy them? Unfortunately, yes. I will be buying all of these books. But at the same time, like, I really wish they didn't have so many. And it's kind of it's kind of upsetting because, you know, when they, back, when they announced that they were canceling all those series when Battle for the Cow was going to start, I was kind of upset about it. And I was kind of ticked off. And I wanted some of these books, especially Robin, because it was such a good series. Not to end, and it had a good creative team on it who was, t- and they were telling good stories. So I, I just don't understand their thought process with some of this stuff. I mean, how how long do you think before they announced the ongoing or that those ongoings were going to be canceled? Did they say to the creative teams, "Oh, by the way, uh, you're not going to be working on these because we're canceling them"? Despite the, I mean, we know that Fabian had more stories to tell because he had all these holes wide open. And that's probably why they gave him those two one-shots during Battle for the Cow was to try to tie up some of those loose ends. It's only a matter of time before they realize that there's too many books or somebody decides, hey, you know, 20k books isn't enough to sell for a month. And they start trimming the fat, which would be great. But then at the same time, I think some stories that don't, like Batgirl doesn't sell a ton of issues, but I think it's a really good story. And I think it's good stuff. The problem is that for some reason, stupid books like Superman, Batman, and for instance, right now, Detective Comics outsell it. And I get that Detective Comics is a uh, main series. And I get that uh, Superman, Batman has two, you know, iconic characters that make up the stories. So, you know, they get a decent amount too. But it's really just 
ridiculous what what goes on with this stuff. Sales figures don't really tell you what how good or bad the book is, and that's kind of no, they don't. Sale, yeah, that's sale, the bad part. Right, sales figures only the argument in sales can only go so far. All right, so with that, we're gonna wrap up that discussion. Look at you. What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. Let's go into our new format for comic reviews. Now we've gotten some feedback from some people about how we've got we had some people say they don't like the recaps. They said that they didn't like the fact that we talked about stuff way past, like we split it up and we had the review wrap up, despite the fact that we did all these things because we were asked to do it initially. So we're going to change it up. What we're going to do is we're still going to cover the books like we would normally do, but we're going to spend a little less time on the recap. And then immediately following the recap, we will then review the actual book right then and there and then go on to the next book. That way you get everything in six, seven minutes that we talk about the book and we don't have to spend as long. And we're partially doing this because you guys asked us to and we're partially doing it because pretty soon we're going to be covering 10 issues a podcast and that's going to be excessive if we're spending, you know, 10 minutes on every book. So, that being said, let's get into our first book, which is Batman Streets of Gotham number 16. Street to Gotham, number 16, written by Paul Dini, illustrated by Dustin Wynn. This issue starts off with the parole hearing of Jane Doe, um, with a speech said by Bruce Wayne, aka Tommy Elliott. He's basically trying to get as much criminals, low-level dealers criminals as he can off on the streets so he can cause some trouble for the network. Katana's on him, but he, that doesn't bother him that much as he considers other plans. While that's going on, the criminal that was released two issues before, Justin Pierce, he's asked why that, why are they going after Bruce Wayne? And it says that he owes a debt to Bruce Wayne's family after Martha Wayne turned down his bribe to shut down Leslie Tompkins' clinic. Elliot is getting ready for, to appear at the Gotham Media Awards with Zatanna. As he, as he flirts shamelessly with Zatanna, they are alerted that there is a breakout at Arkham Asylum with Jane Doe posing as a guard. Bedlam breaks loose, and while this is going on, Alfred decides to take Elliot back home and away from the shenanigans. But while that ha- is happening, the car is crashed by Justin Pierce, and while Elliot gets out of the car, he is shot point blank by Justin Pierce. That's the end of the main issue, but then we get into the Two-Face Backup, Two-Face Part 3, The Long Way Down, written by Ivan Brandon, uh, illustrated by Ramon Bach. Two-Face wakes up in a clinic, basically, after a crazy morphine-induced dream, and the issue is basically about the drug addicts and priests that try to help him while he recovers for about a month. These different people have different reactions to him. They're not sure how to take his, his face and everything. After after two faces is well enough to speak on his own and inquires why the priest wants to help him, the priest says, this is a sign that he is finally free from his life of evil and can turn a new leaf. Two faces doesn't really see that that way, and so he burns the place down, killing people and saying that Gotham, the coin was Gotham's last chance to survive. That ends that backup story, and thus ends Streets of Gotham number 16. Batman Streets of Gotham number 16. So, surprise, surprise, Paul Dini actually writes the issue. That's quite a surprise since, you know, we've had a number of issues that were solicited and he didn't write them. So why would this one be any different? Well, you know, just when you're about to drop the book, he gets back on and starts telling the story that we're waiting to hear for all this time. So that's kind of interesting. I'm happy to see that the Two-Face co-feature is over because that was worthless. And as Josh would say, you could use it as toilet paper. The story itself, not bad. It's almost as if this was a filler issue. It's not really a filler issue. But it feels like he has a story, but he's spending more time than he needs to to tell the story. And things like that bug me because the guy who can't write 
a consistent story in any in one of the two books that he's writing. Let's spread it out as many as we can, and this issue didn't seem like it was really needed. So I'm going to give this one two out of five batterings. I'm going to give it three out of five batterings. I haven't really been liking the co-features that much, but I'm actually starting to get interested in what's going on with Two-Face here. Paul Dini wrote a good story, and, well, he should have, because it took him, like, six or seven months to write it, but this kind of reminded me of why everyone was so happy about Paul Dini writing two Batman books in the first place, because when he actually gets the scripts in and they're published, you know, it is interesting stuff, and it's interesting to see Paul Dini's take on the rest of Gotham City, and, you know, not just a Batman-focused story. So I'm going to give it three out of five batterings. I thought this was a pretty good issue. I really like how Dini uses Hush to kind of flush out the rest of the Bat family here. Um, and I like how he's kind of using the Bruce Wayne persona to get some of these low-level rogues out of Gotham. Um, however... <laughs> One of the problems that I've always had with this series since it started is Paul Dini's necessity to create new characters, and he does it again in this issue. Why does he always have to introduce new characters? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just this new storyline uh, with these new characters characters with kind of worries me that we're going to go through the same thing that we've been going through with this title over again and of course Zatanna had her moment in this issue no Paul Dini comic book is complete without Zatanna and I don't care that she's there I just don't understand why he always has to do that Dustin Gwen was extremely strong in this issue I thought this was some of the some of his best work that we've seen recently it's really really good this book is back for at least one issue to be pretty decent. So the main story, I'll give three out of five batterings. The co-feature, I liked this a little bit. I, I thought that Ramon Box was actually, his artwork was really good here. His style seems to be a much stronger set for this much more like subtle storyline versus the stuff he was doing on Red Robin and Asriel. So I'll give the co-feature three out of five batterings. Uh, contrary to uh, popular belief, it's only been like two issues since Paul Dini wrote, wrote The Streets of Gotham. And this was like basically part two of that whole Martha Kane, Justin Pierce storyline. This was fine. I mean, I liked it. I'll give this three and a half out of five better rings because on one hand, nothing happens. But on another hand, something happens, but it's not, it's not so obviously set up. It's, it's a nice it's a nice kind of old school comic book that's not necessarily written for the trade. The characters were written well. I like how he established this Jane Doe character that's been established for the past several months. I like this backstory with Bruce's mother. I find that kind of interesting. Paul Dini, to me, is the best writer for Hush. I mean, obviously, with the whole Heart of Hush storyline and what's been doing this, this title the entire time. And the ending was really cool, too. I'm interested to see what happens after this. The Two-Face backup. I like these. I don't know I don't know what these guys' problems with Ramon Box as a perfectly solid artist. Um, but the story was served as an end to, like, the backups that's been showing in the past couple of months. And if this is truly the end, I don't see what the point was. I mean... He basically gets jumped on by a bunch of his henchmen, and he gets mad about it at the end. It wasn't a bad story, but it also was sort of a needless story. So uh, if I have to give the backup story a separate grade, I would give it three out of five batterings, with the main story getting a three and a half out of five batterings. So as a whole, Batman Streets of Gotham number 16 will get three out of five batterings from the Batman universe. You can't just leave Harvey out there. Dent knew the risks. I'm going after Rachel. <laughs> Yo, Bruce Man, sorry I'm late, dude. What's going on? What's the sitch? Oh, God. Rachel and Harvey are being held by the Joker in two separate warehouses. Yeah, yeah, the jokester got it. What's his deal again? Mind control? Super strength? Something like that? He dresses like a clown. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, what is it, like heat vision? Because I have that. It's awesome. 
Superman Batman number 76 written by Judd Winnick with artwork by Marco Rudy. We open with Lois Lane in her bed who awakes to see an upset Superman sitting at the end. Lois asks if the battle which she's referring to Final Crisis is over. Superman replies yes. We then cut to an image of Superman holding the corpse of Batman although we know it isn't really the real Batman. And Superman says to Lois Bruce is dead. We then cut to Nightweek and Tim Drake who is still Robin in the Batcave. Alfred interrupts them with a guest, Superman and Dick knows something has gone wrong. Superman is burying the cape and cowl in his arms. Dick becomes furious and demands to see the body right away. Superman tells him he may, but it won't change anything. We cut to Dr. Midnight at the JSA headquarters, who's giving a thorough autopsy of the body while he explains to Wonder Woman and Superman what happened exactly to Bruce. Midnight says the DNA, dental records, and bone breaks are all identical. This is definitely Bruce Wayne, but he says that he did not suffer. His death was almost instantaneous. We then cut to Dick and Tim entering the room, and Dick states that they will take the remains home. We then cut to Clark, who's preparing for the funeral. Only the core members of the Justice League are allowed to attend the funeral. At the funeral, Dick explains the world cannot know he's dead, that the fear he has instilled must live on. And while Dick talks, Clark begins to think back to the first time Superman and Batman met. And in the brief flashback, we can see that they had an immediate respect for one another. We then cut to some time later when Superman hears that Batman came on the scene to stop the Scarecrow. Superman witnesses the news footage with Wonder Woman, who says it must be Dick. And Superman does not like this. We cut to a rooftop meeting between between Dick and Superman, and Dick explains that he's carrying on the legacy in his honor. The world needs Batman, whether he likes doing it or not. Superman tells him what he's doing is grotesque, but Dick knew Bruce better than anyone, and that Bruce was the disguise and Batman was the true identity. Uh, Superman grabs Dick, tells him he's tells Dick that he's going to take that off, and Dick refuses which Superman becomes quite angry, but Dick holds his ground. Superman backs down. Dick explains that he knows Clark is angry, but just like Clark, Dick now knows what it is like to lose a father. We then cut sometime later to the Bat Bunker, where Dick is explained to Superman he sealed the cave because the cave was Bruce's, the bunker is now Dick's, which Superman agrees with. Superman then apologizes to Dick for questioning his actions, but he explains that they may disagree again. That's what happens when you work together. And that is the end of Superman Batman number 76. All right, Superman Batman number 76. I thought this was actually a pretty good story. It wasn't the best story that you could read, but I think it did a really good job of tying up a lot of, uh, I don't know that I would call them loose ends, but ends that weren't tied between the events of what happened right after Superman found the body of the so-called Bruce Wayne and then later on when we see him working with to Grayson. I think they did a very good job at tying some of that stuff together. I thought the art was pretty good. I think the story was pretty decent. So I'm going to give it three out of five batterings. I'm going to agree with Dustin when he says it's not the greatest story, because it's not the greatest story. First of all, that whole thing with Dick saying the Clark, now I too know what it's like to lose a father. Yeah, because you didn't know what it was like to lose a father when you were a young child and your real biological father was murdered before your very eyes. Okay, that's, uh, I, I wish that there was an editor who would have thought caught that. Superman's attitude about Dick being Batman just did not ring true to me at all. It didn't, I mean, I understand that it's more human version of Superman who's acting out because his friend is dead and somebody seemingly trying to replace his friend. But given what's happened in the past, given how many times Green Lanterns and Flashes, who are all colleagues of Superman, have been replaced, him lashing out at Dick like this just seems very, very wrong and very, very un-Superman to me. I like that we're finally seeing the reactions that everyone had once Bruce died. Like, I know we've seen the reactions, but we haven't seen the initial reactions, like the moment that they found out about the death. But the follow-through of it just fell very, very flat for me. I'm going to give it two out of five batterings. I thought this was a 
decent issue. It was very predictable, but it's kind of exactly what I thought that this story was going to be like, which wasn't a bad thing. I thought Judd Winnick wrote some some strong characters in this issue. That's kind of his his strong point. The Lois and Clark scenes I thought worked well. As Josh mentioned, I didn't think the Dick and Superman scenes worked very well. They seemed a bit out of character. My main problem is why in September of 2010 are we still talking about Final Crisis? I don't care how big it was. We don't we don't need these anymore. I, I don't understand what the Final Crisis nostalgia is here. I thought the artwork by Marco Rudy was really good. He was really the strong point of the issue for me. His artwork was really sharp. I think he's someone to watch out for in the future for anybody who checked out Marvel's The Shield series, which wasn't very many of you. I look forward to seeing more of his work in the future. So I thought it was really good artwork with an exhausted storyline. Three out of five banner ranks. I thought this was a very ambitious storyline. It was a storyline that I've been wanting to see ever since the end of Final Crisis. It was an issue very much the ultimate Judd Winnick story, as in there are a lot of things I like, and there are a lot of things that just can't be excused. The problem is, is that a lot of the character dynamics just don't hold up. Okay, we're getting Superman's reaction. We're getting Dick and Tim's reaction. I like the fact that they showed Dick was in immediate denial and that Tim was crying and everything. I like that stuff. But, I mean, Lois Lane had a relationship with Bruce Wayne. I mean, she acts like she barely even, she only knew him, knew him in name passing. I mean, why don't we get a reaction from her? Why don't we get a reaction from Diana? I mean, she was... A huge thing I don't like is how just downright ridiculous Superman overreaction that or Dick being Batman. That was really the big failing of the issue because you can tell Winnick's trying so hard to go for the pathos. It's just over oversaturated. It's just I want I really wanted to like this story more than I did. And this is a frustrating issue because I, I want this to be told and I like some of what, what was told, but there was a lot of bad stuff here. So I, I the more we talk about it, the less I like it. So I'm going to probably give this a very reluctant two and a half out of five batterings. All right. So that is going to give Superman Batman number 76 two and a half out of five batterings from the Batman universe. So even in defeat, the detective manages to achieve some small measure of victory. As you said, detective, this is not over. Moving into our next book, which is Detective Comics number 869. First, we start off with Batman, who's going through the streets, kind of seeing the results of the riot that just took place. He finds this can that's a laugh, laughing can in one of the uh, the Joker's bodies. Mm. Then we cut to Gotham City Police Department, where we have three gentlemen walking in who are badly bruised. Bullock is asking them why why they are why they where they've been. Basically it comes out that they are they are in fact the imposter Batman and they are uh, putting justice in their own hands in a way that they couldn't do before. We then cut to a place called Heath Pharmaceuticals where we see a doctor performing an experiment on a married couple that basically gives them some kind of Joker gas and they have so much adrenaline running through the system that they destroy everything in the room and then eventually destroy themselves. Or I should say, <clears throat> they eventually destroy each other. Meanwhile, back at the Batcave, Batman is keeping accounts of everything that's going on. He's keeping a journal, The Imposter Wars Day 22, says on the screen. And Oracle says, we, I found something, and we find out that we find out this character named Winslow Heath, which in the last issue we assumed was the Joker, is going to be throwing a carnival fair of sorts for free for all of Gotham City to attend. The name of the fair is Bartholomew Fair. Batman looks this up in a book and finds out that the fair itself is something that happened has happened in the past in London, but turns out that the fair itself was something that 
was thrown for free but turned into this giant chaotic riot of sorts. Batman goes and confronts this Winslow Heath character. We get the backstory of Winslow Heath about how he was originally a victim of the Joker. And he says, you know, I had this all happen to me. I used the money that I got from the hospital to buy a pharmaceutical company. And now I want to do good. So there's nothing you can do about it. We then cut to the Joker imposters who have kind of been fiending for the Joker juice. And they are being told online to go to the fair. So everybody and their brother is going to the fair. Once at the fair, this doctor that we saw at the pharmaceutical company earlier has a gas mask on and he detonates what appears to be the gas that he showed earlier. We then cut to one of the imposter Batman loading up his gun and putting his mask on when his little brother walks in. His little brother wants to in fact be his sidekick Robin. The imposter Batman says to go out into the world and kill all the Jokers because this time it's personal and you need to knock them dead. He then sees this, this sidekick Robin, who's not his brother, but this is a different Batman. He sees the brother and says, what are you, what are you doing here? And he goes, well, I figured Batman has Robin so I could be your sidekick. I could be your Robin. And he goes, I don't do sidekicks. And he grabs the kid and throws him off the building. <laughs> so, And that is the end of Detective Comics 869. All right, so overall, this issue, uh, there's a couple things I liked about this. One, I liked that they brought in the historical elements with the... Uh, Bartholomew Fair. That's something that actually, whether or not it actually existed in real life, it's besides the point. The fact that they brought it in and made it seem like is something that was actually historical is interesting. And I thought that was kind of an interesting point. I think this story is a little drawn out. I don't think it needs to be as long as it is. I think it would have been more interesting if this Winslow Heath character ended up being somebody that possibly was in another story that David Hine wrote. But David Hyden hasn't written a ton of Batman stuff, so there's not that's not something that could have actually happened. This character, okay, we're led to believe it's the Joker. It's not the Joker, which, okay, I, I give them props for that because at the end of the last issue, when I thought it was the Joker, I thought this was going down the wrong road. So I think it's this. that's a, that's a plus. But we're given, like, a three-page background story of this character... And we're expected to understand his, you know, understand everything about him. And I don't like when they do that. I think it would have been cool to actually have a story in the past written about this Winslow Heath character where they, all they do is just mention his name. And then two years later, this story comes out. That would have been interesting. And I would have found, I would have given this book a lot higher grade than I did. The art by Scott McDaniel, one of my favorite artists, sucks. Uh, mm. I I don't like this art. Uh, I, it, this is not the Scott McDaniel that I walk around and say, hey, I like Scott McDaniel's art. This is not the same stuff. This seems very rushed, seems very inconsistent on numerous different pages, and the fact that there's so many Jokers and Imposter Batman, I have a problem with it because a lot of them seem like they're the exact same. Like the... At one point, we see three different Batmen on a building looking in binoculars out into the world. The writing makes it seem like it's Batman, but in a story where there's multiple Batmen, why would we have Batman standing in three different spots in the same panel? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So, with that being said, I can only give this two out of five Batarangs. I'm going to have to give it uh, two out of five batterings as well. I did like the ending, which kind of saves it from being one out of five batterings. Oh, now I don't need a partner and pushes him off the building. Really wish someone would have done that with Damien, but... I know. Uh, 
I wasn't expecting the the twist with uh, the Jokers, but otherwise, this really feels more like a Batman Confidential story. That like you know they're kind of getting ready for the next big thing, so they just have all these stories that they stockpiled in the past, and they're using them for Detective Comics because Detective Comics. It feels like it lost its way after the whole Batwoman thing, and they're not really sure what their focus is now. And I think that Texas Comics is in strong need of a focus, so two out of five batterings. I really like Scott McDaniel in this issue. I think that the story is an interesting idea that's just poorly converted into a script by David Hine. I liked the Winslow Heath backstory. But the Batman that Hine is writing has no definitive voice to me. I can't distinguish, guessing because of logic that this is Dick Grayson, but I can't distinguish at moments which one it is. It, I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. But basically, I thought this issue was a good artwork by Scott McDaniels and confusing and an interesting storyline. So two out of five batterings. Yeah, I, I agree with Zach in that... Uh... I'm a fan of Scott McDaniel as well, and I kind of liked him in this issue. I think more than I have in the last couple of issues. He's done better work for sure, but I don't think I, I thought this was pretty good art-wise. The story, yeah, that's my biggest problem too. Uh, again, Zach, like, which Batman is this? I mean, there are moments where he's saying to Alfred, "You think I'm obsessed, do you?" And then Gordon says, "says sometimes you know, sometimes I think you watch oh nothing." Like, this is a this is becoming more and more of a serious problem, mainly because. In the flashback story with uh, Winslow Heath, we're shown that it happened when Batman and presumably a Dick Grayson. It was Batman and Robin. He was either Dick or Jason, but probably Dick. Like, you know, they, they were on the scene when he first got poisoned. So that makes it even more confusing as, you know, it's, it's either or, but there's no other way to figure it is. And that really needs to be addressed. Like, it seems that, like, he made it purposely ambiguous so he could write for Bruce or at least as a Bruce cipher. But that's really annoying. I've actually been kind of digging this story. I think it can be told a lot better. I think all of us agree that it can be told a lot better, but I think it's holding some interest. Along with Scott McDaniel's art, which I think is pretty appropriate for it. I think it's I think it's okay. I mean, I, I think it's fairly decent. I'm hoping that the kid actually gets saved by the end, even though the ending literally made me... I mean, I, you probably heard me laughing because it, it was a great twist. I also It also reminded me of the um, Batman and Robin Adventures comic where people tried to audition as... as uh, a new Robin for Batman, including one guy with a uh, twist and hair. So it kind of reminded me of this kid here. But um, oh yeah, and they had like a Carrie Kelly in there too. That was yep. funny. Y'all remember that? Yeah, that, that was that was yep. a good issue. Batman fires Robin. All that being said, I think I think the past couple of issues have been a little stupider than this. <laughs> this one was this one was kind of okay, and it's going to be concluded. I'm really interested to see how it works out. So I'll give this three out of five better ranks. All right, and then two things I just have to comment on. Back on the who is this Batman? Is this Bruce Wayne or is this Dick Grayson? I have to agree again completely because that, that makes complete sense. But here's the two things that makes me think that what Josh said about this was originally a Batman Confidential story or something else not intended for Detective Comics. There's two things. One, the way Batman reacts to Commissioner Gordon, there's a panel where Commissioner Gordon makes a comment about, he tells Batman, oh, I think the crisis is over, and, and Batman says, no, it's not. And then Gordon says, sometimes I think you, and he turns around, you see the scowl on his face, and it says, what? And then Gordon's like, nothing. And he goes, it's not over. The imposter joker is not, isn't going away. It doesn't seem like a Dick Grayson thing. The other catch is, knowing that Dick Grayson is working out of a bat bunker, why do we have bats flying around and stalactites in a bunker? Mm. Plastic. 
blasting electronic bats, yeah. trying to really capture the the atmosphere. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it's most likely uh, this was not a Dick Grayson story. So with that being said, Detective Comics 869 will get two out of five bat ranks. Anybody in there? There's no evidence anyone was inside. There was somebody in there. Batman saved his butt. I seen him, man. He was just leaping on the rooftops, carrying somebody on his shoulders. I seen it. Like a, a dark angel snatching the guy from the fires of Hades, man. Gotham City Sirens, issue 16. Written by not Paul Dini, but Peter Calloway instead. And as the cover features, Talia with her sword to Catwoman. Because, yes, as has been advertised leading up to this, this is going to be the effort confrontation between Batman's Betty and Veronica, between Catwoman and Talia. Too bad that it doesn't actually happen in the issue. In fact, the closest thing that we get to Catwoman having a confrontation is this issue, is that Zatanna interrupts her while she's taking a bath, and we get a whole cheesecake thing of Catwoman standing up with bubbles covering the stuff that they can't show in a family comic book, with Zatanna saying, you must keep Ivy away from it. And as Selena and the readers are saying, keep Ivy away from up, what? And then Zatanna teleports and is like, that is all. This leads to some confusion between the sirens and Harley's wondering if this is Zatanna's way of trying to place doubts in their minds. And Selena just wants to know what the heck Zatanna was talking about, what they're supposed to be keeping Ivy away from. And then they look out the window and they see, remember uh, last issue, Gotham City was overrun with all those plants? Well, those plants are being removed by people chopping them up and doing things to them. And that's what Zatanna wanted them to keep Ivy away from. From. Why Zatanna couldn't just tell Selena that, we don't know. So the girls had to stop this, or to stop Ivy from stopping this, when Talia comes to them and says, no, this is actually a trap. You guys don't want to do this. It's a trap. And Talia talks about how apparently there's a kidnapping attempt towards Catwoman that she found out about. And as this is going on, the ground seems to come to life. I'm not sure, and they don't explain the issue, if this is leftovers of the plants from the alien invasion or if somebody's controlling them. I guess we're going to find out next issue, and it sucks Selena underground, and the remaining girls, Zatanna, Talia, Harley, and Ivy, realize that they might be trying to draw out Batman's secret identity from the kidnapped Catwoman, and the issue ends with a bunch of people, uh, we, we can't see them, but Selena can see them, they have Selena tied up, and they're going to try and probe her mind, and we see them probing her mind, and it looks like she's in some sort of a trance, thinking that she's dancing with Bruce Wayne. And they're going to use this to try and pull Batman's secret identity from her. As Talia and Zatanna are talking about it in the narration box, saying that Selina has to fight it off. That's to be continued. All right, so Gotham City Siren 16. It's interesting that there's certain elements of this story that are suddenly coming back. We, If you remember correctly, we had elements where Talia was meeting with Catwoman in the past. And she was teaching Selina how to keep the memory of Bruce deep inside of her head so that if anybody tried to get into her mind and tried to find out the identity of Bruce Wayne, it would be hidden. That happened, and now we see uh, Talia show up again, and lo and behold, this is the same situation. Talia shows up, and suddenly somebody wants to know the identity of Batman. So I find it interesting that that happens. You know, a little cheesecake every once in a while is not so bad. So I can't really complain about that because it really, I mean, besides the general drawing that occurs, it hasn't really happened really this dramatically for quite some time. So I'm okay with that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bash that. The art, it's all right. Uh, it's not good. It's not bad. I don't have any positive things to say about it, but I don't have any negative things to say about it either. He can draw women. I mean, that's the truth. 
And it's a good thing he's on this book because if he wasn't drawing women, who knows who he'd be, what he'd be drawing. I don't think it was a bad issue. I think it was better than some of the past issues. I like to see some of those elements that have happened in the series before come back. So I'm going to give this one three out of five batterings. I realize Talia's play, I don't know, her role was very ancillary. She just kind of showed up and said, no, guys, this is a trap. And and then said, oh, by the way, somebody's ordered a kidnapping hit. I don't know who. That could have been done by any of the other characters, if, especially the way that they've been promoting this, that this is going to be, you know, the epic Gotham City Sirens versus Talia issue. Talia's epic return. Talia really did anything in it. First of all, that whole thing, keep Ivy away from the plans. Well, then just say keep Ivy away from the plan. It was... There was no point in doing that, and there was no point to her doing it while Selena was in the bathtub, and then have Selena stand up and have bubbles cover the particular... It felt like I was reading Tarot, Witch of the Black Rose or something. Just like, you know, these naked women and a woman in a skimpy outfit yelling at each other about what to do about another scantily dressed woman. Although maybe that's what Gotham City Sirens has been all along, and it's just taking me this long to realize it. I don't know. I'm a little confused about this whole mind probing thing with Selena, and the ending was very. The ending was a little weird with Selena getting sucked into the ground and kidnapped, like seemingly between panels. I had to reread that a few times. Still, the art's not bad, but there's some plot holes that need to be addressed. So I am going to give it three out of five batterings. I like cheesecake all the time, but this is kind of old cheesecake. Um, <laughs> I thought the artwork was. By Andres Ganaldo. It worked at times, and then it didn't work at other times. I like the inclusion of Talia in the story. I'm not very intrigued by this plot, because this whole thing with people finding out Batman's true identity, they're trying to make it a very serious one. And uh, because I, I, I've seen a lot of stories in my my day, uh, I know that that's not going to happen. So I'm, I'm not really that concerned. So uh, two out of five batterings. I like, I like the last issue where it agrees with that for most things. I didn't really like Talia's role. Apparently she had some dealings with Catwoman and, and the identity of Bruce in the past, but I don't understand why she even cares about what happens to these women. I mean, like, seriously, why? Like, why, Since when Since when did she ever care about anybody in the Batman universe besides Bruce Wayne or, or, or Raish? Um, that's, the kind of, that's, the, that's my main sticky thing. The artwork... It wasn't terrible, but there are some things, specifically the scene with Batman, Robin, and Alfred, where Alfred's face literally looks like he's melting onto his clothing. And I just thought that was, like, Frank Wiley gone wrong. The plot, yeah, yeah, really, Batman's identity is in danger, guys. We better do something. Yeah, that's going to happen. But, you know, it wasn't horrible. It was all right. But at the same time, I wasn't really invested in it. And I, either that's just a problem with the writer or it's a problem with me as a reader. So I'll give this two out of five better ratings. All right, so that's going to give Gotham City Sirens number 16, two and a half out of five batterings from the Batman universe. That is all of the reviews we have for this episode, so let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. there and welcome to bat books for beginners my name is nick and today i'm looking at batman year three this was written by marv wolfman who's worked on the massive crisis on infinite earth story as well as relaunched the teen titans and the story is penciled by pat broderick who, who has worked on other characters such as the swamp thing and green lantern 
Now this story originally appeared in Batman number 436 through to 439 back in 1989 and the story is a sequel of sorts to the previous Batman Year One and Year Two storylines which have both been reviewed earlier on BBFB and this one is the last in the sequence. Unlike its predecessors, Batman Year 3 has never been collected in trade paperback form. Unfortunately. Now you might be pleased to hear that the uh, BBFB plot recaps of the story have returned due to an overwhelming response from you guys. Uh, And thanks in particular to Ish and James who definitely convinced me that it was worth bringing it back. Plus, I've also thrown in a few extra long clips in this particular edition of BBFB to keep you guys happy. So, on with Batman Year 3. This is following in the footsteps of the legendary Year 1 and the disappointing Year 2. How will number 3 do? How has Jason Todd's death affected the Dark Knight? And how will the return of Mr. Tony Zuko affect Dick Grayson? I run an honest business here. I don't pay two-bit hoodlums protection money. Insurance, Mr. Haley. You know, from accidents? Can't run a business without insurance. Get off my property while you can still walk. Hey, hey, fine. I've tried to be reasonable. You don't want my services? Okay. But you're gonna wish you listen, old man. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Keep my number handy. You're going to be calling Tony Zuko and soon. Now then, on with the plot of Batman Year 3. The Batman's most recent case involves the murder of a number of high-level crime bosses. He's received a tip on the next murder, which turns out to be right, but he's unable to prevent it. Alfred goes to the Gotham Courthouse where he makes a case to the parole board that Anthony Zuko deserves to stay imprisoned, telling the board that the true reason Zuko must stay where he is is for the living victims, telling them of the murder of Dick Grayson's parents and how it traumatised the young boy, begging them to keep him in a prison as he has for the past ten years. Grayson arrives an empty Wayne Manor, disturbed to find everything related to Jason Todd removed from the Batcave, and changes into his Nightwing costume to find Bruce. Alfred tells Dick of Bruce's irrational behaviour recently and the violent uh, outbursts that Bruce has been showing. It turns out that Zuko has a book with all of the details of crimes and the criminals in Gotham, and he uses it to blackmail the other bosses into becoming the Kingpin of Gotham. Nightwing is told by Alfred that Zuko is going to be released. The news comes as a shock and he drives directly to the prison where he finds Batman already waiting for Zuko to be unleashed. They watch and wait and just as Zuko walks out of the prison he's gunned down by a hail of bullets. Nightwing accuses Batman of knowing it was going to happen which he denies before gruffly leaving. Back in the Batcave, they learn that Gotham is in serious trouble as all the crime bosses are searching for Zuko's infamous ledger. 
After he refuses to allow Nightwing to accompany him when he goes to check some theories, Alfred says that Bruce is afraid that what happened to Jason could happen again to Dick, and he's worried what it would do to him and Bruce. It dawns on Dick almost immediately where Zuko's book is, and he goes to the orphanage that Zuko was raised at, and he finds the book in a bell tower. And Taft, who followed Nightwing, attacks Nightwing, as they f- and as they fight, Taft explains that he wants the book so he can take over Zuko's position in the city as revenge for all of the criminal activities he was blackmailed to commit. Batman arrives behind them, fearing that Dick is going to be killed in the same way that Jason did. But when he arrives, he discovers that Dick throws the book off the tower into the rain and it loses all of the information. Batman later tells Alfred that Dick has developed into a strong detective and a good man. Dick, meanwhile, visits his parents' graves to tell them about his most recent encounter with Tony Zuko. Why can't I go with you? What's the deal? I'm working alone tonight. Hey, come on. So that's it. No apologies, no explanation, just see you later, kid. You know the rules. There are times when I can't explain my... My actions even to you. Hey, that line worked great in sixth grade, but in case you hadn't noticed... We'll discuss this later. Master Dick, dare I ask what's going on? That's what I'd like to know. I'll never be like him, Alfred. Never. He's a stone-cold, self-righteous... Master Dick, try not to be too critical. I'm certain whatever his reasons, Master Bruce has your best interest in mind. He shuts me out, man. Treats me like a kid. I don't get it. Everything was going great until that Marin business came up. You ever hear of a crook named Billy Marin, Alfred? Mm, can't say that I have, but I'm not one to peruse post office walls. I think Batman has. There. Billy Marin. Alias Simon Dirks. Sid the Squid. But who is he really? Tony Zuko. My word, finally. Now, first and foremost, the most interesting thing about Batman Year 3 is the fact that this is a character piece. It studies Bruce, Dick and Alfred in a lot of depth. More depth than you generally see in these sort of stories. And the focus is kept on those characters throughout, particularly Dick Grayson. So the story genuinely works on the level of a human drama. It's a suspense tale more than just a superhero adventure. It's about these characters dealing with the grief and the trauma that these guys have to work with. Uh, Wolfman, the, the writer, does manage some surprises in the story, such as Alfred addressing Zuko's parole board in the initial chapter. And I think Wolfman does a really good job of keeping the reader on his toes and just staying alert throughout the story. You don't really drift off at any point. The flashbacks to Robin or Nightwing's beginning remain more flashbacks than a fully developed story, but it serves to make the saga much more complex than you might expect, and it jumps between the past and present. And it does this very well. It's very smooth transitions from one to the other. You don't usually get lost in the timeline, and I thought it did a very good job of 
keeping the reader up to date and enhancing what's happening in the present day by learning a little bit more about what happened in the past. And the structure is incredibly well done with the three intertwining stories about the three characters. Batman trying to stop the organised crime-killing spree, Dick Grayson trying to reach Bruce emotionally, uh, and Alfred doing what he feels is right to protect his family. Um, Wolfman also does a good job of even giving just a little bit of sympathy for Tony Zuko when we start to learn a little bit about what he was up to in his childhood and what a tough time he had. Unfortunately, he went down a dark path, but you do feel just a little bit of sympathy for Zuko, which is incredibly hard to achieve, so Wolfman did a good job there. We get to see Bruce go over the line here, and we know that Bruce has never really been very good with grief. He's still dealing with something that happened when he was a child. Jason Todd's uh, death has clearly had a massive impact on him, and we're starting to see that now. And it's a recurring theme throughout the story, Batman on the edge. And of course we had Batgirl crippled by the Joker not long before, so it seems to be building up. And Bruce isn't the sort of guy to let it all out there for him but Bruce isn't using it and he's mentally traumatized and he's descending into a brutal uh, style of of work which um, we learn from the flashbacks that is not the way he taught Robin one other little point is that there's a reference to the KG Beast who was uh, reviewed in a previous BBFB back in 10 Nights of the Beast we learned that the Beast got locked away uh, in the sewer and Batman left him there. Turns out he didn't quite leave him there to die. He rang the police just to let them know where he was. I thought that was an odd part of that story, and I credit Wolfman for trying to tie that up. We also get to be reminded here why Robin is needed for Batman, Um, and it's really to help Bruce. He can't do it all by himself. Even though he'll never admit that, Robin is a massive benefit to Batman. But Bruce also says he doesn't want any more partners, and that too makes sense. He was responsible for the death of a young boy, and uh, I think that will... Even though we know of Jason Todd in the future and and what's going to happen there, um, I think Jason Todd's death still has, has always had a massive effect on him, and just knowing that he was responsible for something like that, I think will stay with him for the rest of his life. And, uh... We get to see that Bruce doesn't really deal with Jason's death. He hasn't dealt with the grief at the end of year three. We, he hasn't dealt with that. And uh, we start to wonder, will he ever? And I'm not sure he ever will, even when Jason Todd, spoiler alert, returns. Uh, now, Broderick, as an artist, um, got, he generally gets mixed reactions. Um, some of his uh, characters look a bit too blocky bit too large um, and they have a bit of cartoon in this as well particularly with the young children but he does tell the story well the facial expressions always communicate what the character's feeling and he's a good uh, he's good at creating motion in the comic um, for instance when Dick is being beaten with a crowbar at the end of the book similar similar imagery obviously to Jason Todd it's um I think he did a fairly good job. Not fantastic, but solid. And also, there was a fantastic cover for issue one, which was not done by um, Broderick, but done by uh, Perez, who I think, for issue one, the cover, I think it's an iconic cover. Uh, I don't think it's had quite enough attention, but it looks superb. Uh, 
So in conclusion, uh, Batman Year 3 seems to have been forgotten by the major people at DC. Uh, never had a trade paperback, which is a crime. But, I mean, if Year 2 deserves one, this certainly does. It really analyses the characters as well as having small details such as the first appearance of Mr. Tim Drake. It amazes me that this hasn't received more respect. And I feel that this is almost on par with Year 1, not far off it. The only problem is that you need to know a little bit of backstory such as who Dick or Nightwing is and Tim and Jason Todd and what's happened there. So for a brand new person, it's quite tough to get into. But if you've been following me through BBFB and you've read up to this point and you know the basics, I think this can be a really rich and fantastic story. And uh, if you haven't read this one, it has my full recommendation. So, obviously, five out of five Batarangs. Check it out, guys. You deceived me! You can't take this one! Suko's mine! On this team, I call the shots. But I've waited half my life! Batman out. Oh no, he's not gonna ace me out. Please, Master Dick, you must do as he says. Not this time, Alfred. Maybe not ever again. So after that excellent book, next time I'll be looking at Batman The Mud Pack, where Basil Carlo unites all the clay faces into the Mud Pack in a united effort to rid themselves of the Dark Knight once and for all. This covers Detective Comics issues 604 to 607, so try to grab that for next time and uh, look forward to a bit of Clayface action. I've been Nick, and now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Hey, Dick. How you doing? Fine. Sorry I haven't been around. I forget how big and lonely this place can be. That's okay. As it turns out, I may have some free time starting tomorrow. How'd you like to catch the Gotham Knights season opener? Box seats. Great. I know it must be very difficult. If only I could have stopped him. I saw him coming out of the tent. I knew he didn't belong there. I know. You keep thinking, if only I'd done something differently. If only I could have warned them. But there isn't anything you could have done. There isn't anything either of us could have done. I wish I could say yes, but it will get better in time for you. That I promise. So that was Bat Books for Beginners. Uh, let's go over what we're going to be covering on the next episode. As far as the comics we'll be covering, we'll be covering Batman Confidential number 49, Batman Odyssey number 4, Red Hood Lost Days number 5, Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne number 5, Bruce Wayne The Road Home Batgirl, Bruce Wayne The Road Home Batman Robin, Bruce Wayne The Road Home Outsiders, Bruce Wayne The Road Home Red Robin. We will also be covering Night and Squire number 1. That will be the only other book we'll be covering. Now, Outsiders do get a slight bit of a return just because this one one shot is involved with the return of Bruce Wayne. 
despite the fact that The Outsiders still has their normal series coming out the same week. Clearly not that important to the Batman universe anymore. Josh with, that being said, with that being said, that's going to wrap everything up for this episode. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can check out the website for daily news. Leave us a review on iTunes. You can send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. And, of course, you can join the forums and chat with other Bat fans. The forums have started to become a little bit more active, so I implore you to go on there and check them out. And if for some reason your account hasn't been activated, you can always send us an email and let us know, along with your username, and we'll make sure to approve it. So with that being said, that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. You got Josh. This is Zach. This is Donovan. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. As Josh would say, hasta la vasta. Keep on reading Batman. All 20 issues. is that who's by niagara falls you record josh yeah are you recording on the ocean i think i've expressed how much i hate that little noise i hate that noise as well which means someone's not wearing a headset no i mean the (laughs) yeah which means somebody's not wearing a headset don't look at me. I got a headset on. Well, the only way we would hear that sound... I hear it through my headset. Well, if somebody's not on red, then you can hear it anyway. Hello? Hello. Hello. Yeah, we... Okay. Yeah. Can you hear me all right? No. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Sounds like... No. Sounds like... <laughs> ABC a Josh. And now silence. Birds of prey. I think your phone. Yeah, it might be your computer. I can hear you. Maybe it's, maybe your internet sucks. If you want to call your provider up and <laughs> check things out. D E F G. Well, I missed A B C D E. Was the second mic that bad? I mean, I heard, I heard some wind, but. Streets of Gotham. Really weird. It keeps stun hanging me up and. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like there. that, huh? Right? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, oh, we can, sometimes. We can, we can hear you fine. What are you talking about? Yeah, no. Yeah. Huh? What'd you say? I could just call your phone. That'd probably work better than trying to use Skype on your phone. What are you guys seeing the image? Uh, it's on the BatmanUniverse.net. You ought to visit. Comics. You should try visiting the website sometime. No, I'm at it. I'm at it, and I can't. You know, we post we post news and all sorts of stuff on the site. You'd never believe it. That's gonna be a good good thing at the end in the outtakes. Oh, dude! 
It's going to be great because, uh, you know, I always tell my wife I'm going to be done by a certain time. and Bullshit. Told her tonight, I said, oh, yeah, I'll be done by 7.30. No problem.